I want to prove to you that I'm a disciple of Jesus. Now sit down and be quiet while I do so. (laughs) Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Welcome to What We Believe and Why with Dr. George Byron Koch. If you were with us last time, you know we were unpacking the term sanctification. And then we introduced the implications of what that means in terms of loving fellow believers. And that's where we're going to pick up today, back into sanctification and its implications on getting along. Here's Pastor George. We're beginning again today to look at the issue of living with believers. We concluded last time just starting to try to understand what that means. And here was the point that we were making. Being a Christian would be much simpler without having to deal with you and also without Jesus He complicates my life even more than you do, because here's what he said. So now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. But I want to prove I'm his disciple by how well I do theology, or sing, or pray, or fight the heretics. Those things are fun and exciting. Loving you is hard work. Loving me is hard work. It's not just about mustering up warm feelings. The love of which Jesus speaks is my intentional action for your benefit, and your actions for my benefit. Christ's command to us is about loving God and neighbor. When Jesus spoke those words, commanding us to love, the Greek word used for love is agape. It does not designate warm feelings. It includes that. But specifically, it's about taking action for someone else's success, for their benefit, for their well-being, for their blessing. And Jesus doesn't say, love each other when you feel like it. Nor does he say, love each other when you're feeling good about each other. Or when you're not mad at each other. He says love. And he means take action for that other person's benefit. Do it even if you don't feel like it. Even if you don't want to. This is not a suggestion from Jesus. It's a command. Love one another. Love is action for the other's benefit, for their success, healing, renewal, redemption. And hence, because God is love, God is action for our benefit in our creation, in his sacrifice, in counsel, and empowerment. Here's how the Apostle John describes it. Dear friends, Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, 
we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love has been brought to full expression through us. And God has given us his Spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, all who proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God, have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in him. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, because we can face him with confidence, because we are like Christ here in this world. Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of judgment. And this shows that his love has not been perfected in us. We love each other as a result of his loving us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God, whom we have not seen? And God himself has commanded that we must love not only him, but our Christian brothers and sisters, too. So the truth is, we have 20 centuries of failure at this. When we disagree about a concept with other believers, with other Christians, when we disagree about a concept, a doctrine, a matter of theology, the structure of a worship service, a denomination, a sacrament, we often do it with venom. We get offended with each other over matters large and tiny. And the dishonor with which we treat each other dishonors God. We are such rank failures at this that Christians have tortured and murdered Christians for hundreds of reasons, from translating the Bible into a language besides Latin to insisting baptism be done only to adults for poor or excellent theology or for belonging to the wrong church. I could cite hundreds of examples of Christians demonstrating in word and action their hatred of other Christians. Even when we are not killing each other, the sarcasm and disrespect we display is appalling and unholy. I don't care if some are modern or ancient leaders of the church and wise or renowned in other ways. Hating believers is inexcusable. It is wicked. The Apostle John is spot on when he says, If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. Further, Jesus told us to love even our enemies and pray for them. Loving my friends is hard enough. Loving my enemies is nearly incomprehensible. Why would anyone do that? It seems stupid, foolish. But though I am to defend the faith, Jesus does not give me the option 
of hating my opponents. Whether they are brothers and sisters in Christ or enemies, it is not permitted. If I claim Christ as Savior, I do not have the choice to hate them. And consider this, we were his enemies, and he loved us. Had he hated us, we would all be dead. Listen to what Jesus says. You have heard that the law of Moses says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust too. If you love only those who love you, what good is that? Even corrupt tax collectors do as much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I don't know about you, but I don't particularly like what Jesus has to say there. It makes my life far more difficult than it could be otherwise. But if I claim him as Lord, and he says this to me, and he does, there is no choice. I must love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I must also love my enemies. I know that the word Jesus uses for love does not mean to try to conjure up warm and fuzzy feelings. It means to take action for their well-being, take action for their benefit, take action for them. Take action for the benefit of your enemies? Yow! So what should we do? Frankly, it's easier to fall in love, fight, worship, pray, sing, invent religious concepts, theologize, fight heresy, and study the Bible. But this people stuff is very hard work. In fact, I would say as you might too, looking at those that you know and care about in church, that sometimes those are the most difficult people in our lives. We might imagine some great battle against the enemy out in the streets or elsewhere in the world in some very dark place. But the offenses that we take and the anger and the stewing very often just come right from the people that we love and worship with on Sunday the people we're on committees with, the ones who make decisions that we disagree with, whether it's about the color of the carpet or the scriptures that will be studied. Now, the Apostle Paul gives us some great insight into what this means, and we're going to pick that up and listen to what it is that he has to teach. Once again, Paul leads us to understand deeply what it is to love believers. And we'll pick up that discussion regarding loving believers after a quick break. Time flies. We're already in Episode 7 of What We Believe and Why. If you've missed any of the previous six, good news, they are available at the website whatwebelieveandwhy.com. The material builds on itself throughout our studies, so it's not a bad idea to go back and fill in some of the gaps. We'll be back with more with Dr. George Byron Koch after a quick break. (music) 